Are you on the go and only have a short window to peek at the local headlines? We've got you covered. The KOSU Daily Podcast brings you Oklahoma news every weekday in a condensed and accessible way. Head over to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to the KOSU Daily to get the scoop on the latest Oklahoma news. For KOSU, I'm Michael Cross, and it's time for This Week in Oklahoma Politics, along with Republican political consultant Neva Hill and civil rights attorney Ryan Kiesel. A U.S. House committee investigating the influence of the Chinese government in American schools. Here's testimony from State Superintendent Ryan Walters. Walter says the Chinese government is actively setting up schools in common and higher education to spread communism and undermine the United States. He's calling on Congress to pass a law banning money from what he calls hostile foreign governments. Neva, what do you think of this testimony? Well, first of all, it's not uncommon that you would have a state superintendent, attorney general, insurance commissioner, corporation commissioner, any number of elected officials in a state, including Oklahoma. Many of our uh, elected officials have uh, given testimony before Congress. In this instance, with Ryan Walters on Tuesday, uh, it was a subcommittee hearing on um, early childhood, elementary, and secondary education, but he really keyed in on, as you say, Michael, I mean, kind of his dimension was uh, this warning about what he, I think, described as this conflict of using weapons of information, misinformation, and propaganda, and and launched into the whole uh, accusations that he's made with respect to one of the schools and uh, a teacher who teaches Chinese and what uh, what other things that he's been involved with in terms of his uh, outside teaching. So a lot to a lot to unpack there. But in terms of just the overarching someone going to Congress, giving testimony, even going the next day on television shows and talking about it further is not a surprise, whether it's Ryan Walters or any anyone else here in Oklahoma or probably across the country. Mm-hmm. Ryan. And it's great whenever an Oklahoman gets to testify in front of Congress, mm-hmm. but what a wasted opportunity here. Uh, instead of going and talking about actual education issues that are dealing with uh, that our Oklahoma students and their parents and the teachers and, and support staff are dealing with here in the state of Oklahoma, he goes to Congress and you know, parlays these, uh, you know, or proffers these wild theories that have been debunked multiple times uh, by multiple institutions, including conservative institutions, about Chinese money coming into Oklahoma schools meant to infiltrate our student body and turn them against the United States of America. That's just ridiculous. None of this is grounded in any sort of evidence or reality whatsoever. It kind of makes me think, and it sounds like he's coming from like the 1950s, 1960s, uh, you know, McCarthy era. Maybe he's stuck in some sort of like WandaVision type reality. We might need to put out a rescue mission to go get him back. Maybe he's in trouble. I don't know. Uh, He's really making a play, I think, to a small subset of Republican primary voters. He's running for governor. He's uh, hoping that that subset of primary voters is enough to get him over, over the top. And he's also, I think, making a play for some sort of a job at a network at some point uh, moving on. You know, I will agree, China is a problem. You know, it's something that America has to reckon with. Mm -hmm. There are issues with economic security and national security. uh, But politicians like Ryan Walters are actually doing China's bidding whenever they're turning Americans against each other. And they're continuing to divide us in the political context that we exist in right now in 2023. Should Congress have been listening to some of the stuff that he's been doing? Well, I I think they should be listening to the topic, uh, clearly. And I think when you kind of of go beyond what he said in his testimony and the conversation about this 
uh, Confucius classroom program that uh, basically is an offshoot of, of these uh, institutes that have been uh, on college campuses across the uh, across the country. And there has been a lot of issue with that, even uh, prior to these conversations this week, about the fact that the affiliation with the uh, Chinese Communist Party and the fact that by their own mission statement, these groups and, and these affiliates on these college campuses, uh, their program is designed to, in their words, soften uh, the, um, the image uh, that Americans have of the uh, People's Republic of China and, and, the, communist, uh, uh, and the Communist Party. So um, I, those, are, those are conversations that aren't going to go away. Um, it, I think Ryan is right in terms of uh, the one example uh, specific to Oklahoma that uh, the superintendent used. Um, there's been a lot, of, a lot of things talked about, written about that. It doesn't seem to be something that has much legs. Well, if you look at Ryan Walters, he's concerned about this authoritarian communist China. Uh, and we should be. I mean, you know, that that as a blanket issue, Americans should be concerned with China's growing power in the world, economic, military power, and what that means for America moving forward. But if you look at Ryan Walters, I think that he has a lot more in common with the Communist Chinese Party than he thinks that he does. I mean, he's built his entire political career around censorship, social control, calling his political opponents in, uh, enemies insisting on one version of history that we all have to agree upon. Those things are the things that, in, that we look at in communist China and say, that's not the kind of values that we want to live in here in the United States. But he's going on his platform and, and attacking communist China, but still at the same hand, doing a lot of the things that we see that authoritarian regime trying to do in that country. House Speaker Charles McCall says there are no plans for the state house to start impeachment proceedings against Superintendent Walters. Democrats are calling for an investigation saying Walters lied to lawmakers about filing federal grants, used state funds for an anti-teacher union video, is embattled in his seventh lawsuit for, for since taking office and other offenses. McCall says he won't call for an investigation until Walters commits a crime. Ryan, what are your thoughts on this decision? Well, I think that that's uh, not what the state constitution allows for whenever it comes to impeachment, uh, committing a crime or being convicted of a crime. That's not the uh, threshold that has to be met before the House can initiate impeachment proceedings and then send articles of impeachment to the Senate for consideration as to whether or not an individual should or should not be impeached. The constitution says that impeachment shall be allowed for willful neglect of duty, corruption in office, habitual drunkenness, incompetency, or any offense involving moral turpitude committed while in office. It doesn't even mention criminal activity. So the, the idea that he has to get to this point, uh, uh, some criminal activity before impeachment can begin or the House can begin investigating, that's just really not the case. In fact, if we look at you know, two governors in the state of Oklahoma that were impeached, they were impeached on uh, uh, allegations of corruption and incompetency. They weren't impeached for um, remo removed for office because they committed a crime. You know, I think that McCall has, Speaker McCall has a difficult position. He's also likely running for governor. He's going to be competing probably for the same Republican primary voters that uh, Ryan Walters will be. He'll need those votes to win uh, or to make it into a runoff. He's also got a caucus walking into the session where if he's coming out swinging against uh, Ryan Walters, it may make it more difficult for him to manage his caucus and his bigger agenda that he probably has that doesn't have anything to do with Ryan Walters for the 2024 session. So it's not surprising that he's doing that, but I do think that it's a wrong interpretation of the Constitution. Neva. Well, and let's let's take into account uh, how this statement was made. I mean, it was in an unrelated press conference. He was being asked mm -hmm. about the special session. The question came up. Uh, he did make some comments basically saying, look, at this point, he was not aware 
of any criminal, um, any, any crime or criminal activity. Um, and his point was even beyond that. I think he, he made the comment that it was not the House's responsibility to weigh in and try to overturn election results. He said elections have consequences. And so a lot of folks that if they're not happy with who the person is in office and they want to make a change, that's not the way to go about doing it. And, and I think that many people would agree with his assessment that, that the articles of impeachment, the bar is very high on that, as it should be. I mean, th- this is not something that should just be thrown around as a conversation without some weight and facts and specifics behind it. And there's no question. I mean, if something comes out at any point uh, in, in either investigations or anything else, it is the prerogative of any member to continue to move this forward, whether it's the Democrat leader uh, or whether it's a, a Republican leadership or anyone else. So the fact that it's not moving now because people would like to see it moving is not the issue. The issue is, as you outlined, Ryan, there are specific uh, reasons uh, that are outlined in the Constitution. If something uh, were to occur, let it move forward. We'll just have to wait and see. A new leader took over Tulsa Public Schools earlier this week. Ebony Johnson began her career as the TPS superintendent on Monday, taking over from Deborah Gist, who left the office last week. Also on Monday, the Tulsa School Board unanimously voted to hire education attorney Doug Mann to serve as special counsel as the Institute works through the state demands to maintain the district's accreditation status, as well as an ongoing state forensic audit and the criminal probe of an embezzlement case. Neva, what do you think about these changes at Tulsa schools? Well, obviously there were changes that were needed. Um, The Tulsa public schools had been under fire all summer long by Ryan Walters, uh, making, uh, you know, basically making the move that he wanted to, uh, uh, he he wanted to uh, take them, kind of take them out in terms of accreditation. Uh, if, If a lot of changes weren't made, I think one of the changes that ensued was a change in the superintendent. Now we have this interim coming in, 24 years experience, someone, uh, a product of Tulsa Public Schools, still has a child in, in the public school system. So someone who appears to be hitting the ground running, doing a lot of the right things in terms of uh, uh, meeting with uh, Superintendent Walters, having two of the school board, uh, state school board members already uh, making a tour of elementary schools in her district. Uh, and I think she set the stage basically saying that her vision was that the students needed stability. She used terms like uh, that she was going to lead with the uh, heart, with love, with uh, be a visionary, with hope and opportunity. So uh, the stage is set for her with a big mission. There's a five. Uh, I think there's a five-year strategic plan that the, the uh, a district is uh, working to implement. She is certainly going to key in on literacy and trying to do some things that uh, the three points that the superintendent outlined that he wanted to see happen. So um, a lot, a lot of things moving at Tulsa Public Schools. Right. Well, and what we'd seen at Tulsa Public Schools over the summer was this real clash of personalities between Deborah Gist and Ryan Walters. And I think that that was initiated by Ryan Walters. Ryan Walters, uh, part of his political MO is to have an enemy. And he made Deborah Gist an enemy. And he looked at Tulsa Public Schools as a, uh, as, as a way to talk about things that, about you know, the current failure of the public education model as it exists in Oklahoma today, and try to use that as leverage to advance his own political agenda of increasing the number of privatized schools and and so on. And I think that Superintendent Gist did the right thing by stepping aside, even though her tenure uh, is marked by a lot of successes uh, and that she has moved Tulsa Public Schools uh, forward on on many fronts. There are a lot of issues in Tulsa Public Schools 
And I think that uh, Deborah Gist recognized that as long as she was there, uh, she was going to be the focus of Superintendent Walters, and it was going to make it very difficult for the school board members, for leadership, for teachers, for everybody in Tulsa Public Schools to move on and be, to begin to address these real issues. I, I think that the new superintendent, Dr. Johnson, it's, it's really exciting to have somebody like Deborah Guest, who's a TPS graduate from Tulsa, has a child in Tulsa Public Schools, you know, has, has vested interest in the success of, of that uh, school district. And I think that she's done the right thing by reaching out to Superintendent Walters. She's trying to start all of this with a clean slate. And that's the best that you can do in a situation like this is to say, I'm, I'm ready to work with whoever is ready to work with us to make Tulsa Public Schools better. Now, whether or not that remains the case, uh, that remains to be seen. You know, does Ryan Walters at this point become a collaborative partner with public, Tulsa Public Schools? Uh, or does he find some other way to begin to attack Tulsa Public Schools as a way to, again, advance this larger political agenda of and, his? And I think that I think that the superintendent has said, look, here, here are three broad stipulations that, that really need to be addressed. And they would appear to be ones that Tulsa Public Schools is, uh, is zeroing in on with the new interim superintendent. I mean, not only having the professional development plan to really key in on uh, literacy instruction and, and upping, upping that as a priority, but also the fact that, that he has charged them with making sure that these failing schools, the ones that are getting the uh, the F schools on the state school report, report card, that they get that grade up. So those are ambitious goals, but those are those are goals that I think no one is arguing need to be, um, that need to be on the front burner and need to be um, front and center in terms of efforts being made to accomplish. I think the other thing is, I mean, Tulsa Public Schools self-reported uh, back in the summer, this issue with uh, uh, with the embezzlement charge on one of their uh, top uh, top school officials, and this week, I mean, in in the uh, federal court in Tulsa, uh, this individual was charged. I mean, and we're talking embezzlement of at least uh, six hundred thousand uh, dollars, and so a major deal. They uncovered it, they turned it in. Now the forensic audit is taking place, and the FBI has already seized uh, at least uh, maybe approaching a quarter million dollars or something in bank accounts. Uh, but but this is a, a, a regrettable situation for any school district to have that situation on on their, you know, uh, on their on their landscape. And the fact that uh, that this was not only district funds, but it was grant funds from a from a, a private donor. So you you had the the kind of the foundation for the schools as well as the Tulsa Public School District, all that money being tangled up in it. And uh, the good news is is they seem to be getting on top of it and the process is moving forward on the legal side. And I think if the state of Oklahoma and the, the State Board of Education will remove this this pending threat of, of, revo of revoking accreditation status for Tulsa Public Schools, that gives them some leverage, some some uh, some room to breathe. Uh, and that's what they need right now. They, they, they're going through a lot. They did exactly what they should do in uncovering this this uh, uh, this uh, embezzlement. They turned it in. The process is working. They've got this five-year strategic plan. They have new leadership. Let's take this accreditation issue off the table. It seems to be off the table with the last vote, but let's just take it off the table entirely and let's give this new leadership uh, and this new plan op an opportunity to, to work and to, to do it without this 
uh, sort of this Damocles sword hanging over their head uh, with the threat of losing their accreditation if everything doesn't work out. And it's important to remember that Tulsa Public Schools is the largest school district right. in the state of Oklahoma. So, I mean, uh, if, if any school district has problems, and they all do, they all have things they have to deal with. And, and But when you talk about the largest school district, they have a yeoman's task ahead of them. I think the people they're putting in place understand the uh, mountain they have to climb, understand the buy-in they need, not only from parents in the community, but also from their own folks in the school system. And I think everyone will watch with interest as this moves forward. It begs the question of whether the state even has the resources and the capability to step in and take over that school. If, if Tulsa Public Schools and their leadership and their elected school board members, if they're struggling with all of this, let's, let's not pretend that the state of Oklahoma can come in, take that school over, put their own folks on the ground, and everything is, you know, hunky dory overnight. This there there are deep troubles in that school that a lot of it has to do with you know socioeconomic uh, situations that their student body faces. Largest public school in the state of uh, district in the state of Oklahoma, an enormous task. So the idea that the state could just step in and say, okay, you've lost your accreditation status, we're going to take over and everything's going to be okay. Frankly, if, if the state could do that, let them take over every school. If they could come into every school and take over every school and make them all better then let them do it. I just don't think that they can. The state and, and I think rational people at the uh, State Department of Education, those that are still left and, and hanging out and you know maybe hiding in a corner or under their desk somewhere, they understand this isn't the way that this is going to work. We're going to walk in and we're going to face the exact same challenges that the leadership there is, is uh, and, and we're going to do it as the outsiders. Voters in Edmond are getting ready to vote in a special election to fill the seat left vacant by Representative Ryan Martinez, who resigned after pleading guilty to a non-driving DUI charge. Primaries for House District 39 are taking place on December 12th, with the general election on February 13th. After filing ended on Wednesday, seven Republicans, two Democrats, and a Libertarian are vying for the position. Neva, you are representing one of the candidates, Republican physician Ross Van Hoover, who... Ross Van Hooser, but what are your thoughts on this race? Well, I mean, the thoughts are this. <laughs> it's just what you outlined. I mean, we have an 11-week sprint to a <laughs> to a winner-take-all primary, and I think voters sometimes uh, lose sight of that. Uh, and it, it'll be something I'm sure talked about in the it, it, that you have uh, seven Republicans, two Democrats, and then the one Libertarian. But there will be the primary. Then then there will be uh, the holidays, and all of a sudden, February 13th, there'll be a general election. The session will have already begun. They will have uh, they will have eight weeks uh, during that uh, session, whoever the winner is, and then they'll file in mm -hmm. April with everyone else to run for re-election um, in the uh, in in the regular 2024 cycle. Potentially another primary, maybe runoff and general. So it's a long haul to uh, uh, for these folks that have all this, that made the decision that they want to represent House District 39 uh, after the uh, uh, resignation of Ryan Martinez. And out of those 10 filings, the one thing I thought was interesting is that the average age is 54. So, you know, many times in these districts, I mean, we're seeing younger uh, candidates and sometimes in specials, we see younger candidates jump in. But uh, in this instance, I think when you look at these folks, I mean, average age being 54, I think the libertarian, the oldest at 75, and, and then you have folks kind of running the spectrum from 30s to 60s. But um, I, it, it, specials are fascinating. We have one going on in Lawton right now. In fact, they will have, uh, they'll have their primary on October 10th for a state uh, Senate seat in a special election, and they'll have their general on December 12th when this primary is going on in Oklahoma City. So 
uh, two fascinating races to watch that are special elections. Ryan. And winner-take-all primary, you could end up in a situation where nominees, uh, especially on the Republican side where you have so many candidates, you could have a nominee that wins with 20% of the vote, 25% of the vote. And then they go on, and if they win the, the general election with what will be most certainly exceptionally low turnout. You know, I've got some experience in these odd election date elections yeah. and the the turnout, if you try to change that turnout model of who's actually going to show up and vote, it's incredibly difficult. Really, the the, the voters that are going to show up at an election to this are, are already baked into the cake. We know who they are. They're, they're going to be there. And then you, once you have the, the primary, that's going to be one. And then getting into that general election, this may be a situation where you have higher turnout in a primary, lower turnout in a general, because everybody's going to be really fighting in that primary side. You get to the general after the holidays, it's February, the legislative session has already started. There's going to be a lot of things competing for you know political oxygen in the room, and you're going to have this general election out there. And you also have a, a, a district that is overwhelmingly Republican in registration. Mm-hmm. So the real competition is the Republican uh, is the Republican the primary. primary. Democrats obviously uh, are keen in and wanting to be competitive in all of these seats. We're seeing it. Uh, we're seeing it now, just like. Uh, uh, in any of these specials of late, so uh, it will be it will be interesting. It will be very interesting to watch. And you're right, Ryan. I mean, getting folks out, you have to have people that are not an occasional voter. These are folks that vote all the time. That's they right. come out in these mm-hmm. kind of elections. They pay attention. They do their homework, and they make a decision. And they're typically older. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, these these are older voters. Uh, the the issues that they're paying attention to are different. They're they're usually, uh, especially in that Republican primary, you're going to have people that tilt a little bit further to the right than, than maybe most. Uh, if you look at the, the Republican electorate as a whole, these primary voters are going to be a little bit further to the right than their regular primary voters. On the Democratic side, you've got two, I think, really strong candidates competing in a, a very difficult district for a de- Democrat to win in. Uh, Reagan Raff who's a small business owner. But then you look at, at Paul Timmons. He's a former captain of the Oklahoma Highway Patrol. Uh, who has a very uh, impressive resume in law enforcement. And that kind of breaks a mold for, I think, a lot of Democrats. You know, Democrats are often, uh, you know, law enforcement are often running, or at least, you know, uh, as of late, are often running on the Republican side of the aisle. To have a a Democrat um, from law enforcement, and not just any law enforcement, you know, uh, Paul Tim, and he was the captain of the Highway Patrol. Yeah. Uh, that's that's a really big deal. He was in charge of the Capitol complex during his tenure there. I mean, he went to the National uh, FBI Academy at Quantico. That's that's an interesting profile for a Democratic candidate. And if he ends up in that general election, uh, I think it'll be difficult for Republicans to run a lot of their the same attacks that they might against a Democrat. And and uh, I think Captain Timmons would be able to. Uh, set himself aside from some of the normal partisan identification that would make it difficult or more difficult for a Democrat and a a leaning, not leaning, but uh, heavily leaning Republican district (laughs) in the state of Overwhelming Overwhelming. That's the word. Overwhelming. (laughs) Extraordinarily overwhelming. State lawmakers are looking into ranked choice voting. The election process has gained traction in a handful of states and municipalities, which has gotten the attention of an interim study at the state capitol. Ryan, I know you have talked about ranked choice voting before, so what is it? I've been talking about it for a long time on here. I'm excited to see that the conversation has, has made its way to actual hearings at the state capitol. These, you know, this is an interim study, so there's not, not any votes that are taking place here, but lawmakers are beginning to kind of think about what this is. Essentially, we talked just a moment ago about uh, a winner-take-all primary. Instead of right now, we have these uh, most 
primaries in the state of Oklahoma. You got a primary and the top two vote uh, getters that are, if you're under 50%, they go into a runoff. Well, and you have a runoff election and then that person, if they win, they become the nominee. In ranked choice voting, we eliminate a lot of that. Instead of saying, all right, well, I'm going to, you know, I might have like two or three candidates that I like, but I like an order of preference. So I don't just vote once. I have as many votes as there are candidates. So the three of us sitting in the studio today, if somebody were voting uh, for us, uh, I don't want to ever be on a ballot against the two of you. <laughs> uh, I think I know where I land on that thing. But if, if we're having that, the, the voters would have three choices and they'd rank us one, two, and three. Mm. And so if uh, when election, uh, when poll workers are counting ballots, you know, they count up the, the ones. And if nobody has reached 50% with ones, then they say, all right, well, who's everybody's second preference? And that starts going in. And then if you don't have 50% there, you go down to the third. And you once you get to a point where somebody has more than 50% of the vote, they're the winner. Um, I think that when you say all of that out loud, it, it sounds really confusing. Uh, and maybe like, that's one of the reasons that I don't play card games is because people tell me the instructions and I like, it just kind of goes over my head and I don't ever end up playing. And, and then they say, oh it's, oh, it's really easy, but this is, I mean, I think that it's, it's been proven out. I think that it, it shows, it allows for campaigns to, um, you know, run on issues because if you're in a ranked choice election and you're attacking your opponent, well, you might not get, uh, you, you might not get their second choice votes. You know, so if somebody's supporting candidate a and they're number one and, uh, there and but you're attacking candidate A. Well, candidate A's uh, voters aren't going to come to you as their second choice, mm-hmm. and so it's going to reduce. And it has. I mean, we've seen that reduce some of the vitriol that we've seen in these campaigns and push uh, candidates to moving uh, to more issue-based campaigns. You know, I think that you know this is just one of the things that we can do in the state of Oklahoma to to really you know break up the the broken two-party system, uh, move us into uh, a democratic system where voters feel like they have more of a voice instead of just winner take all. And every, I've got to pick one person because I often have preferences in these things. And I think most people do about things in their lives. I know that secretary Zeriak said that, that he didn't think he's the state election board secretary. He said that he didn't understand it. He's a really smart guy. Uh, I think that he can understand this, uh, and, and, you know, wrap his head around it if the state decided to move this way. Neva. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure, uh, Paul Zeriak's was, uh, not being truthful when he said that it, it was very complicated. And if he can can't sort it out easily. How confused is the voter going to be? So I think there are a lot of there's a lot of give and take pros and cons that have been thrown out there repeatedly on this subject. But it's really not even a partisan issue. I mean, when you look at it, I thought I think it's fascinating that it's the Washington D.C. Democratic Party that earlier this summer filed a lawsuit to block ranked choice voting uh, on a ballot measure. And their argument was that it disenfranchised low-income and minority voters. So you had Democratic officials almost across the board in Nevada come out the same way, absolutely opposed to a a ballot initiative for similar reasons. Uh, So uh, this interim study, uh, yes, there's a lot of push clearly by the folks that are proponents of this. They'd like to see this uh, move forward in multiple states. That's their agenda. I don't, uh, I don't hear a lot of conversation that is really strong about the idea here in Oklahoma, uh, at least at this point. And I think you do get the arguments that immediately come back most often that it's complicated. The fact that if we were to do it, we would have to have an entirely new election voting system because the current system would not accommodate that type of balloting and that type of uh, counting. Um, and then you have, I mean, even the issue of one person, one vote. I mean, you you say, Ryan, that let's have multiple choices and rank them. 
But the idea that we are a state that is at the bottom in terms of voter participation right now in national elections as of the last cycle, and to suggest that we're going to throw a whole new idea on the table and that somehow that's going to get better participation, that we're going to get better candidates running, that we're going to get a better result. Um, I mean, I think that's a high bar for a lot of these folks to be able to uh, um, to really uh, make make the case and find some appeal among just general rank and file voters because it doesn't, at least to what I've seen at this point, doesn't seem to be picking up any traction. Well, and a, and a big thanks to Representative Dollins, Mickey Dollins, for, for bringing this idea out in front of the legislature. I, I think, again, it's an important conversation. You know, the one of the you know we talk about we're going to have to spend money on new voting machines. I don't know that that's necessarily the case, but if we do, we're going to be saving a lot of money because we're not going to have these runoff elections anymore, and those cost the state a lot of money. And we do have even a huge drop off in voter participation when we get to these runoff elections. So we we save a lot of money there as well. I and I think that the idea that you know Democrats are opposed to it in some places, Republicans are opposed to it in some places shows that this isn't some you know, gimmick to give a partisan advantage to one party or the other. Uh, it really is just this opportunity for, uh, to, that reflects the way that we, that we live in this world today where, again, I don't just have you know, one uh, you know, favorite type of anything. I, you know, if I think of my, my favorite you know, cheeseburgers in Oklahoma City, uh, I, I don't want to just you know, pick one uh, because you know, you know, what if Flycatcher is closed and I can't get the double veggie burger? <laughs> I've got to have my rank number two. Uh, you know, I, I've got, That's I've, a got stretch, Ryan. I've got That's to have, a I've got to have my number two burger there. And if, and if I can have, if I can have uh, that kind of selection and choice in, in the wonderful cheeseburgers that Oklahoma City has to offer, uh, then, then I should be able to have that in the people that are going to represent me in government. Ryan and Eva's comments do not necessarily reflect the views of KOSU, its staff, or management. Programs like this are made possible through support from KOSU members who are listeners like you. Consider a gift to KOSU in support of This Week in Oklahoma Politics at donate.kosu.org. Hey there, this is Jenny May Harms with KOSU, where we want to talk with you, not just at you. One way we connect with listeners just like you is through social media like Instagram. So follow us at KOSU Radio, where you'll get a behind-the-scenes look into KOSU reporting, station news, and even ticket giveaways. Just follow KOSU Radio on Instagram, and we'll see you there.